Hello, everyone, and welcome to Discussions on Concussions podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Coombs-Renwick, and I'm very excited about today's guest. We have Susanna Juto, a registered dietitian and headache nutritionist with an amazing story. And once I came across her, I was like, this woman needs to be on this podcast. So welcome, Susanna. Thank you for having me. This is a topic I'm super passionate about, so I was so glad you invited me. So just to start off, I would love for you to share with our listeners your story. Yeah, sure. So uh, I'd like to say my story kind of started off with uh, me performing brain surgery on rats in my undergrad, which when I look back, seems to have foreshadowed my own brain surgery. So and and foreshadowed the work that I do now, which is providing nutrition relief for chronic headaches and migraine uh, conditions, as you mentioned. So let's go back a bit. My undergrad is in neuroscience. I've always been fascinated with the brain, how it works and all the things. So during that degree, I did um, my, my, my research project was on rats and I did multiple brain surgeries to determine their sound localization. You know, it's a whole thing, wow. but um, I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> I hated it so much. So I I actually developed a lot of anxiety, an allergy to rats, and oh just overall this, this fear of rodents in general. So as soon as I finished that, that thesis project, I took off to South Korea for a year teaching English because I was like, I don't want to do research. I also don't want to be... Uh, I don't want to become a doctor like that. That wasn't my path either. So I kind of took off to find my place. And while I was there, I realized my real passion was in nutrition. So I returned home, did a master's in nutrition. And after a few years of being a dietitian in the community setting, I actually ended up with my own brain surgery. (laughs) So that was to remove a tumor. It was the size of a ping pong ball. It was pressing on my brain stem, which is the center of life. Um, and as much as that sounds like very extreme, which it, it was, of course, yeah. but um, our brains can actually heal quite quickly. So regardless of the surgery being 10 hours long, I was told that I should be able to re- recover and return to work in two months or so oh is what they, they said, like leading into the surgery is like, no, no, like, don't worry, you'll probably be fine. Um, unfortunately, that didn't happen. Ugh. And <laughs> instead, at that two month mark, um, we realized that the surgery or the um, or a brain injury, it's really a brain injury, like a brain surgery like that is really a brain injury. So not unlike concussions in many, many ways. So that surgery caused uh, my threshold for headaches to go right down. Um, This is also known as the headache trigger bucket, which uh, your audience might be familiar with. And it's, it's a visual that I really love. So Um, If you think about buckets, three different sizes of buckets, the largest bucket would be the general population. They don't get headaches very often. Um, They haven't had any significant like trauma or injuries or that can also contribute to genetics in general can contribute to a smaller bucket. And then we have the medium sized bucket who may be who may get more regular headaches. So this was me pre-surgery. This is people 
uh, a lot of people before a concussion. Right. And, and then post injury, you end up with a really small bucket size. So any triggers in the environment, just put go into that bucket, and they fill up the bucket. And when your bucket is filled up, you end up with uh, a lot of symptoms. So those symptoms can manifest differently for everyone. Mm-hmm. So for me, they're very bad headaches, uh, frequent migraine attacks, and just overall um, general symptoms like dizziness and fatigue and stuff that came along with it. Now that I was stuck with this new problem, I really maximized my healthcare options. I'm Canadian. I'm currently living in California, but at the time I was in Ottawa, Canada, and I was able to see multiple doctors to find out what was going on. So I was really put through like the gamut of different meds to try. Um, I got lots of shoulder shrugging. Um, <laughs> oh, I hate <laughs> Yes. Try this. I don't know. Exactly. It's like, I don't know. Try someone else. I kind of, I just felt that so many of the doctors just said, oh, it's because of your brain surgery. And this is just a fact of life. Like maybe you'll outgrow it. But I never felt any hope from the, the, the medical community, um, which I know a lot of people, other people deal with. Yeah. Um, and no one gave me any hope that I could reverse my symptoms. So for a long time, I just felt like this was my fate and that there was nothing I can do about it. Mm-hmm. Um, let alone no one mentioned that diet could make a huge difference. So mm-hmm. the, the only hope that I got was that time would cure. That's the worst. That's the worst one. <laughs> I know. It's like, well, how long do we wait? And some people even get the the, ros- the response that when you hit menopause, it goes oh away. A lot of people get that. And it's like, well, <laughs> that's still many, many, many years away. So I'm not going to hold to that oh, promise, wow. that hope. Yeah, that is yeah. that is the worst. Because when they say wait for any kind of brain injury, it's like, but how long? And then right. when they don't give you that hope, that can really impact like your mental health and where you are at your life. It's so mm-hmm. difficult. Yeah. And I would say in many ways that was harder than the symptoms themselves mm. because you want to see an end. Like you want to yeah. know that there's at least a light at the end of the tunnel and then you can kind of fight through and, and find ways to cope in the meantime. But when there's no hope at the end, it's it just it pulls everything away from you. And that's why so many people do suffer with anxiety and depression along with um, their other symptoms. So yeah, it's really tough. And so for me, for, for many years, many prescriptions later, I just finally decided to take things into my own hands and be my own guinea pig. <laughs> um, and I'd like also like to note here that though the medical system I felt failed me, my own training failed me as well. So my training in neuro- neurology, uh, nutrition, like there is very, very little talk about in either of those programs about treating migraine, headaches, concussions, or anything along those lines. So you really need to go into the research yourself or work with someone who specializes in this area. Um, and for me, I didn't even rule it. I mean, I was also turning a blind eye to a lot of things. I was like, I don't have time to, for research and the energy for it. Like it's, yeah. it takes a lot to kind of go through those scientific articles and do it yourself. 
So, and I just never came across someone to work with. Yeah. I eventually started applying many of the principles that we'll go over today. And within eight weeks, I was off all meds. And within 16 weeks, I was largely symptom free. So now I help people do the same. That is amazing. I love that you took your own experience and your own background of of research and education. You were like, I'm going to do this myself. <laughs> you exactly. at that point where it's like, well, it's on me now. <laughs> it's on me now. Like I and looking back, I was like, why didn't I do this earlier? But <laughs> I mean, there's just so many factors, right? And there's yeah. so much going on and you're so tired and you're just trying to cope and get through the day yeah. that like as much as I wish I looked into it more myself, um, I know I, I couldn't. Yeah. Like I just wasn't at that place. So wow. Well, I would love for you to share your tips and advice. I know you have an awesome um, piece of information to share with our listeners. Yeah, yeah. I really wanted to make this as um, for people to take some action steps and um, come away with this. Like, if you can just think of three things that I say and say, okay, I want to work on this or I want to do something of the next steps that I'm going to give. <laughs> so, I wanted to talk about five uh, five steps to cutting inflammation for headache relief. Love that. So anyone who's listening, I recommend getting a notebook. I really love when people like email or tag me in Instagram or Facebook and yeah. show me their notes because <laughs> um, so often we listen and then we're not a- always able to apply or sometimes yeah. the information aren't like actionable steps. Especially with memory loss. I know for me, <laughs> it's always good yeah. if I know things or else I'll be like, what was that again? So you know what, I'm going to take my notes while you say it, and I'll share it afterwards. Okay, good. We all have a little bit of brain fog, if not a lot of brain fog. And (laughs) some some help with our memory and just just the act of writing it down, even if we were to never look at it again, Hmm. that alone kind of solidifies it in our in our minds a bit better. Yeah. So step number one, which I'm not going to go into too much detail because it's not my area of expertise, but I'm putting this first because it is so important. And that's the sleep stress exercise component for cutting inflammation. So all three of those are really, really essential if we want to cut down inflammation in our bodies. And actually, before I get into these five steps, are you familiar with the concept of inflammation like migraine being due to inflammation or headaches being due to inflammation you are okay perfect so just in case someone isn't aware with that concept this is one of the main theories out there is that it's due to inflammation in our bodies uh even though it may not like show us inflammation from the outside eye so it's not that we have like swelling going on or anything like that but it's it's often inflammation on the inside of our bodies that is you know going up to our head and and just it's basically just telling our brain that something is off and it manifests as a headache the first step is to really watch your sleep so getting at least eight hours of sleep is so essential there's some really really great books and podcasts if if you're not getting eight hours of sleep about how essential that eight hours is and I think often in our society, it's almost bragging rights to say we got by with, you know, three hours of sleep last night, or I pulled an all nighter, and we get into this like 
mindset that we don't need sleep as much as we do. But especially for a recovering brain, we need at least eight hours every single night. And that's from the moment you fall asleep to waking up, not from the point of going into bed, which is also a common mistake, especially of my own. <laughs> Next is stress to, I mean, handle that as best as you can um, and to have some stress coping abilities, like whether that's mindfulness, deep breathing, uh, yoga. There's so many different practices just to find one that you really connect with. And then exercise, mm-hmm. even if it means going out for a walk. Um, there's a lot of feel-good hormones that are released just in the first five minutes of going for a walk or doing any form of exercise. So just doing what you can. I know we're all at different levels of of recovery, but um, to really figure out where you're able to, to do some exercise every day. Yes, absolutely. That's a really good point that you make. I Throughout my journey, I've been trying to make sure that Every day I I go on my walks and have the motivation to do that, which of course is easier (laughs) with dogs, but uh, definitely important to make sure you're getting some exercise. So number two, number two step for cutting inflammation would be to cut inflammatory foods. So the first step in is always challenging yourself to cut out as many inflammatory foods as you can. Even better if you do a celiac test first, mm-hmm. because uh, gluten can be inflammatory for some people. Right. But before we cut something like gluten, we want to get a celiac test first, because there's a very different level of importance if you're just cutting gluten to feel better versus having celiacs and needing to cut gluten. Yeah, That's just a, an aside. But it's really great to do an anti-inflammatory challenge where at least for two weeks, you cut all the, all the potential inflammatory foods, which I'll mention some of them in a second. But if you do that for two weeks and see how you feel at the end of that, and then you can reintroduce those foods one at a time, to to really get a sense of what it is for you so here are some of the some of the foods that are very inflammatory for uh, the majority of the population so sugar any processed sugar but um it's found in everything so sugar in general Mm -hmm. trans fats so as much as trans fats are away from a lot of our foods, it is in a lot of bakery foods and anything that doesn't have an ingredients list or um, like a facts, nutrition facts table, those usually still have a lot of hidden um, trans fats. So anything from bakeries, even in the grocery store, the bakeries and from restaurants, those uh, have a lot of trans fats usually. Other inflammatory foods would be gluten and dairy for a lot of people and I know a lot of people like that can kind of scare them away, but just give yourself the that two-week mark, doing it for two weeks. And it doesn't mean you can't reintroduce later. Even if you do have a to- uh, intolerance, it's usually a dose-related tolerance, intolerance. Okay, so those are those are the main things. And also anything processed. Any processed foods, especially anything with five ingredients or more, Um, usually has additional chemicals and stuff. So those are all going to be inflammatory on your body. Okay, so step number three 
would be to load up on anti-inflammatory foods. So we take out the, the, the culprits and we put in a lot of the good guys. So the main thing here would be a ton of fruits and vegetables. And I know we hear this all the time, like no matter what article you read on health, it's like increase your fruits and vegetables. So I think for, because of that, we tend to gloss over this recommendation a lot because it's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know. (laughs) But we don't take the time to like sit and evaluate how we're doing. So even just writing down your food for three days and then looking back and being like, how many vegetables did I eat? It's very revealing. So if you're not eating seven fruits and vegetables a day, and really it should be much higher, even like eight to 10 a day, then your gut is suffering. Your gut is suffering, you're nutrient deprived, and you can absolutely improve your symptoms if you pay attention to this, especially in combination with what I'll, I'll bring up in point five. So, so stay tuned for that. <laughs> um, some other uh, anti-inflammatory foods would be fatty fish. Mm. So things like salmon, sardines, herring, mackerel, those are all really fatty fish. Um, Walnuts, flax seeds, soybeans, um, those are all like omega-3 high foods. I I interviewed a gut specialist on my on my last summit in the fall. Called, uh, my summit's called Hope for Headaches. So her name's Dr. Elena Maganto, and she's a gut expert. And she actually made this point that r- really stuck with me, so I wanted to share it. Our typical North American diet is usually like meat six days a week Mm. and fish or vegetarian the other day of the week. So she recommends that we switch that. Like she's like for all optimal gut health, we want to switch that where we're having fish much more often and vegetarian meals much more often. And then the meat is more like a, a here and there thing. So that made me think too. She was like, fish minimum three days a week. And I was like, whoa, (laughs) I get it twice a week, probably only because it's like such an easy meal to make. Um, But to even increase that more than than typical recommendations was was a good point. How about you? Do you eat fish a lot? (laughs) So it's funny because I was like, I'm holding my (laughs) breath there being like, I actually hate fish. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) For the past like almost 10 years, of course, that's the one thing I've been finding is the advice of of eating fish more and trying to incorporate that. Mm -hmm. So I do take omega-3s. I'm finally at the proper amount that I should be taking. Perfect. And it's nice because it it took a while to find something that wasn't super fishy. And then the other part too, is I'm actually allergic to tree nuts. So I have the worst luck here because it's like all the time. You don't have a backup. backup, But it's been fun playing along and like finding different things. Like, as you mentioned, like flax seeds and and other sources Mm -hmm. to get that. And um, even with step two, I recently have cut out dairy. Okay. And I noticed that, uh, the end of 2020, I wa- I became lactose intolerant. Mm. And so I, I then cut that. But the difference has been huge. Good. And before, if you told me, okay, you have to cut out dairy, I would have been like, 
no chance no, not trying it yeah it's it like happened so fast and I'm like okay if I can do it a cheese lover you can do it too yeah yeah and that's totally something that like as you get control of other symptoms and like things improve because it's all about getting that inflammation down mm-hmm. and then when the inflammation is down the gut can really repair and your body can repair and as it repairs it doesn't mean like for life you need to cut it out it just right. means for now it's best and we wait for that that repair um, and then you can try it again and see how you feel then but our cells have memory so and there's each cell has different types of memory so I'm not going to break that down much further than that but (laughs) often it's like three months for something you're somewhat sensitive to and six months for something you're really sensitive to that you need at least that much time for for those cells to kind of forget that it's sensitive to those foods so cool Um, so you can always you can certainly try it again and then there's always a dose response too so you might be able you know for you might be able to have one slice of cheese but nothing else that day or a lot of people can tolerate yogurt much better than some of the other dairy so right yeah so all hope is not lost (laughs) (laughs) that is so neat (laughs) Let's see, some other anti-inflammatory foods are, uh, of course, I mentioned vegetables, but that can be even broken down even further. So Mm -hmm. things like broccoli and other cruciferous vegetables are really great anti-inflammatory foods, Uh, berries, avocado, Mm -hmm. uh, green tea. You want to be careful with that, though, because caffeine can be very inflammatory for some people. Peppers, mushrooms. And mushrooms is actually an interesting one because we often like you'll often hear in the health world that like white foods aren't good for you. So but mushrooms are very anti-inflammatory. Oh, that's awesome. Things like grapes, garlic, olive oil, extra virgin olive oil, and then lots of spices, but especially things like turmeric and ginger are all really great anti-inflammatory foods. I love that. I'm drinking my ginger tea right now. (laughs) Ooh, there we go. That's perfect. (laughs) Yummy. Definitely been trying to incorporate more ginger. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's, it's one of those things. It's, uh, I think we get used to the taste as like you have it more and more because I used to hate ginger so much. And, um, just starting with the powder because it's uh, less potent and then kind of mm. building up to the tea and then building up to the the root and just um, grating the root into foods is yeah. a great way to get it. It's crazy the difference. There's like those health stores that will have ginger shots, especially during like flu season or Ooh, anything like that. Yeah, that's so true. Like, oh, let's do them, guys. Like back in the day when, you know, people were working in offices and you'd have a lunch break and um, and I would be like, oh, let's do it. And people would be like, oh, my gosh, how did you do that? I know. I'm used to it now. <laughs> At the beginning, not yeah, so much. Yeah. <laughs> It's crazy totally and we and and we get used to foods that we don't like too like you yeah. just keep trying a little bit it's like with with babies we always say you know try a food 10 times and then they'll like it and it's actually very similar with adults um it's just adults we have like a whole other you know uh, story around each food yeah. that we dislike <laughs> um but if you can get past those stories then it's usually 10 to 15 times as an adult of trying a new food that we end up liking it so Man, maybe i'll try that with fish <laughs> oh there we go yeah maybe that'll be my 2021 goal <laughs> try a really mild one to start with and put like lots of pesto or something that you really love on top and yeah. then uh, yeah build up from there okay. <laughs> so number four is to control blood sugar and 
this one you hear all the time and I don't actually agree with it the way that other people talk about it. So you'll hear most health professionals, especially anyone who is talking about headaches, will say to eat every three to four hours. I find that is usually a recipe for disaster in that we graze a lot during the day and um, we end up eating as soon as we wake up and eating until we go to bed, which only leaves the time that we're sleeping that our gut gets any rest at all. So if we're constantly digesting food, then we never have that time to repair and recover and uh, recycle cells and just there's no cleanup happening. So I'm a huge proponent of following our circadian rhythms and stopping eating when it gets dark outside. Mm. And to take that even further, I actually, I practice therapeutic fasting, which is longer fasts on a regular basis to allow my body to have that time for recovery and repair and to get into ketosis, which can be another huge benefit for the brain for anyone who suffers from regular chronic headaches, uh, ketosis is another type of fuel instead of using glucose as fuel. So that is also really beneficial. So anyone who wants to learn more about that, you can contact me. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'll, I'll stop that there because there, there's a lot more details. That could be many podcasts on it on its own. But just in summary, there's a a lot of evidence that shows that gut rest lowers inflammation in the Mm. body. And then, so my last point is to test and not guess, especially once you've done that, that two week trial Mm. of cutting out and uh, cutting out inflammatory foods and loading up on the anti inflammatory foods. And if you're still not seeing symptom relief from doing it on your own, then there's a really great test called the mediator release test. That's uh, testing 140 foods and 30 chemicals to see which ones are causing inflammation in your body. And this is very different than the popular tests out there, the IgG or ELISA or LISA tests that are really popular from Uh, You can get them from uh, blood labs and uh, naturopath offices and stuff. This one's very different. So um, that's just an aside or just a note that this test is more expensive, but it's much more accurate and, and really takes away the guesswork of trying, like we often go, just go through years of trialing things and trying to figure out what are, which foods are triggers. Is caffeine a trigger? Is it not? Um, Mm -hmm. if we do it in isolation, you might not realize that it is a trigger and think that it's, and it's just this whole, um, big thing that leads to a lot of frustration. So this kind of jumps that ahead so that you, at least is testing some of the uh, most common foods so that you have a, a head start on a real elimination diet. This is especially important for anyone who has more than 15 headache days a month, because that means you have chronic headaches and... Uh, chronic headaches are much more tied to inflammation. And this type of testing is extremely effective in relieving symptoms for, for anyone who has chronic headache or or migraine attacks. And, ev- and anyone who does have migraine, this test is really effective for anyone who has more than five attacks. Of, uh, sorry, not five mm. attacks, but more than two attacks a month. If you're having only two attacks a month, then that can be like a menstrual migraine and it's not necessarily as tied to to inflammation. There's still some very close components, but 
test called, Leanne? It's called the mediator release test. I know. I have to make sure I get that down. And for those listening, they're probably like, wait, this sounds so cool. <laughs> yeah, they're, uh, it's not a popular test because you have to be trained. You have to, it's called, uh, you have to be LEAP certified. So you have to take a, a course to be LEAP certified. And then, uh, so only dietitians and uh, medical doctors can take that program. So because of that, it's, you don't hear, it's not like in the mainstream media or anything like that, right? but it is, uh, from what I found, it is by far the best um, test that we could possibly take. And I wouldn't recommend any other test without this one, because those mm-hmm. often give a lot of like false positives, like the, the IgG test that, that I mentioned often gives, <laughs> like they test way more foods. So you get, yeah. so that just feels very appealing. Um, but if there's a lot of foods there that you don't necessarily have to cut, it, it becomes very overwhelming when people get those test results back and it's like, what? I have to cut a hundred foods and <laughs> that's just not realistic. So this yeah, is no. more, much more accurate. <laughs> yeah, because overall it's really important to find out which foods unique to you are causing inflammation and problematic because otherwise if we're reading articles or... I mean, even listening to podcast episodes like this, it's really like blanket statements. Like we're saying anti or anti-inflammatory foods, like add more broccoli and Brussels sprouts. But what if you're sensitive to those? Right. Then all of a sudden that, that guidance of a healthy diet, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean a, a headache-free diet right. because it's not unique to you. And that's also where a lot of health professionals kind of go wrong is that we overall, like there's a lot of guidance out there to eat better and to eat healthier and to get a lot of more vegetables and everything. But that doesn't necessarily uh, mean that that's what's best for you. Right. You actually have to put the work into finding out what triggers you, what helps you and and putting that effort in, Mm -hmm. which people don't usually think of for, for head injuries or just headaches in general of, okay, I need to plan out and be strategical of what I'm putting into my body yeah. to help better my head. Exactly. And I think that's so important. So I'm glad that you were able to discuss that today. Yeah. Those are really helpful steps. Yeah, those are those are five steps. <laughs> <laughs> I I could probably make a hundred, but I'd say those are the five main ones. So I hope everyone can kind of take three action steps from amongst those five steps and say, okay, I'm going to work on going to bed at 1030 every night for this next week. And if if a two week challenge seems too intimidating right now, then just start with cutting out some of the inflammatory foods. So, you know, cutting out a lot of processed foods or even just paying attention to ingredients Mm -hmm. for a lot of people we can just start there and noticing how many different chemicals are in there because once we do end up with that smaller headache trigger bucket due to whatever happened sports injury or my case is surgery or anything else when we get to that bucket we tend to or that smaller bucket we tend to be much more um chemically sensitive in our environment too. So even just eliminating uh, chemicals in our environment can be quite significant too. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much, Susanna. This has been amazing. Great. And I hope that I'm going to um, add your your website and information so that our listeners can can find you and message you and, and yeah, inquire please. about your services because this is this has been a very helpful podcast. And Good. I'm so glad that you could join us today. 
Well, thank you so much for having me, and I'm uh, I'm uh, happy to be helpful, and I always love hearing from people. So feel free to reach out. Great to connect with a fellow Canadian who's all the way in California. <laughs> and we didn't know. There we go. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Susanna. And remember to rest that head of yours, everyone.